Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. church. Great to see you today. Turn to someone near you and say, I cannot tell you how excited I am that you're here today. Would you just do that? Turn to someone, say, I'm really glad you're here today. And if you're not glad they're here today, confess that to them later after the service. That'll be helpful. That'll, that'll repair things. I'm glad you're with us today. If you're at home, glad you're with us as well. And today I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 9. We're going to go to work today in the last message in this series on prayer. Obviously, we could have gone weeks and weeks in the book of Daniel. We focused in just on some of the aspects of prayer as we talked about the different aspects of kingdoms that Daniel understood that there were earthly kingdoms that rise and fall. He understood there were heavenly kingdoms and warfare takes place in the heavenly kingdom, but ultimately it's the enduring kingdom, the one that is going to endure forever that was at the very center of Daniel's heart. He created these patterns of prayer. He was persistent in prayer, and he just kept on praying even when he didn't get it. And I love that Daniel is a man that as he prayed, he also had a life of integrity that just seemed to line up with this whole heart of prayer. And Pastor Dan did such a great job last week about talking about relentless faith, uh, the three Hebrew children, and talking about the aspect of continuing to pray, even if we're not going to get it, right? They said, we're, gonna, we're not, we're not going to follow you even if the Lord doesn't answer the way that we want him to. And today, we're going to take you to Daniel chapter 9, what is perhaps the finest intercessory prayer that takes place in Scripture Certainly, intercessory prayer for a people, for a nation, as Daniel models a heartbeat of prayer, this mid-80s man, 70-plus years in service to five different world leaders, two different world empires, and he begins to intercede for the, the people of Israel to be brought back into their homeland. It's an incredible journey. Now, as we have been working through this together, I'm a... If you go on a gift mix and you look at my spiritual giftedness, I'm what people would call an exhorter. An exhorter is someone who tends to be a, a motivator. And so a lot of times, us motivators, we like to take people and recognize where they're at, and then we like to give you like these simple solutions on how to get to where God wants you to be. So I noticed a number of years ago that uh, I tend to give a lot of like five steps to this, four steps to this, two steps to this. Well, I never do two steps of anything. But anyway, I do all these things, and I realize that it can sometimes come across as somehow as do this, do this, do this, and everything will be okay. When it comes to prayer, I want to be really cautious not to somehow think that God is our little genie, that if we do this plus this plus this, He'll give us whatever we want. There are formulas in prayer. Daniel models formulas in prayer. But it isn't for us to somehow persuade or manipulate God to do what we want Him to do. It is just simply a pattern that's exhibited by so many 
when they come before the Lord in prayer. And I think it's helpful for us as we do that. And so you'll notice in your note sheet, I gave you a little formula. I got C plus, what is it? C plus, C plus P plus D equals P to the third power. It could be P to the fourth power. By the way, somebody texted me after the service and said, hey, what, what's a P to the three power? It's just simply powerful, persistent prayer. Powerful, persistent prayer. How, and you could add a fourth one, passionate. Passionate, powerful, persistent prayer. What are the elements that bring us to that type of prayer? And I want us to, to look through Daniel chapter 9, verse 1, and learn from this incredible model of prayer. Chapter 9, verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign. Now, so what does that mean? Daniel is now 70 plus years. This is the Medo-Persian Empire that has overtaken the Babylonian Empire. So we're now, he's now well into his 80s. And here's this senior man who is uh, schooled and wise and discerning and he begins to, to look and to pray. And he says, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures that according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God, because it's been about 70 years, I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with Him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love with those who love Him and obey His commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and we have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and your laws. We have not listened to your servant, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but on this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all of Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. Do you notice he is taking, he is, he is not passing the buck. He is not accusing God. God, we are getting exactly what we knew would happen. You said it would happen. We're taking the blame on this one. Oh Lord, we and our kings and our princes and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against Him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws He gave us through His servants, the prophets. All of Israel has transgressed Your law and turned away refusing to believe You and to obey You. Verse 17. Now, our God, hear the prayers and the petition of Your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, O my God, do not delay. Because your city and your people bear your name. And while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, 
and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, a man I had seen in an earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice, and he instructed me and he said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding as soon as you began to pray, an answer was given. Now it's interesting, and we could and maybe perhaps should have read the entire prayer because it is just such an incredible model. But when you look at Daniel, you see a pattern that develops through all of his times of prayer that really, for me, are an encouragement on how to pray and how to come before the Lord on behalf of a need. And the first C, the C, is God's character. When Daniel prayed, he always prayed with an understanding of God's character, and he understood that God not only wanted to answer prayer, God would answer prayer, and that God actually wanted him to come before him in prayer. See, the character of an individual kind of determines how likely you are to go to that person and ask them for anything. For example, if you have a father who perhaps was, was not very receptive to you, or you had a parent who wasn't very receptive to you, and they hated to be interrupted, and they tended to be grumpy, and, and uh, they certainly were kind of tight with finances, and they didn't, want you to, didn't ever want you to ask them for money, and they didn't want you to interrupt them, you wouldn't likely interrupt them in the middle of a TV show asking them for 20 bucks for gas, right? Because that's just not in keeping with their character. If you have a boss who's a grump and a grouch, or you have a boss who the first five hours of the day doesn't want anybody to knock on his door, and if they do knock on his door, he is likely to kind of rip their head off. You're not likely to go to your boss at 10 o'clock in the morning. It's just in his character. But Daniel, in the very, verse 4, just verse 4 alone, it's all throughout this passage, but in verse 4 alone, it screams the character of God. And, and, And it starts with the way he even addresses God. He says, he says, uh, oh Lord, uh, 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 it says, I prayed to the Lord my God and I confessed, oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and his commands. And he calls God by three names in this passage. Now you don't, you don't necessarily see the distinction in the English, although you do see there is a distinction. But he calls him Elohim, Yahweh, Adonai, those are the three words that he, he, he declares in that one little passage. And he goes, Elohim, the God who is the creator God of the entire universe, who is all-powerful, who is able to do whatever he wants to do, who can create everything that is seen and everything that is not seen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it's that name for God. And then he says, Elohim Yahweh, Yahweh the personal God. My Savior, who loves His people, Adonai, my Lord, my Shepherd, the One who comes alongside of me. And in in that one little phrase, He says, God, You are powerful, but You are personal. And it invites Him to come to prayer. So when you understand that, you understand a little bit more in Hebrews chapter 4 where it says, Let us then, through Jesus Christ, our High Priest, come before the throne of grace where we find mercy in our time of need. God loves it when His kids come to Him. He doesn't get interrupted. He isn't grumpy. You don't ever interrupt 
a TV show with God. You know, he loves it when they come, but he also is faithful. It says he keeps his covenant. He keeps his promises. And by the way, Scripture says not only does God not lie, God cannot lie. One, unless you're in the NIV. Unfortunately, in the NIV, they've translated that and they've kind of lost a little bit of some of the original idea. But if you go back into the King James and you go back into some of the more, uh, those who are a little bit better translations of that passage, it says, God, God cannot lie. Why? Because it's not just what God does, it's who He is. God can't lie. His character is such that He can't lie. It'd be contrary to who He is. Oh, and by the way, He loves you. His covenant of love. Later on, verse, chapter, verse 8 and verse 19 says, and He's the God of mercy. Don't you love it that Daniel models for us and teaches us that God is not this angry God up in the balcony of life just waiting for you to mess up so that he could take his thumb and squish you like a bug. He is the God who loves his kids, invites his kids. He, he, he keeps his word to his kids. And oh, by the way, he's powerful and personal enough to actually answer. That's pretty cool. His character, number two. He then clings to God's promises. Because God's promises are His Word, and His Word is truth. You'll notice what He says. I find this fascinating. Maybe nobody else will find this quite as fascinating, but I find this fascinating. Verse 2 and 3. I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures. See, they had some Scriptures, the writings of the prophets already. I understood from the Scriptures that according to the Word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, by the way, chapter 29, verse 10 and 11 of Jeremiah says this, that the desolation of Jerusalem is going to last about 70 years. Now watch what he does. He doesn't pack his bags. He doesn't go home and clean out his closet getting ready. No, no, no. He says, I understood that God said it was going to last about 70 years, so I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer, and I petitioned, and I fasted in sackcloth and ashes. God said it, so I prayed it. God promised it, so I began to pray it. There is something powerful about that. By the way, in chapter 29 of Jeremiah, a lot of you, if you've ever been around the church very long, you have even, some of you even have this as your life verse. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11 is your life verse. For I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, not harm you, plans to, to, to give you uh, love and, and hope for the future. That's your verse. You know what verse 10 is? Verse 10 says this, And when 70 years are completed for Babylon, says the Lord, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise by bringing you back to this place. Your life verse is tied to what Daniel is praying. And he says, I saw it in the Word of God, and so I began to passionately pray it. Why? Because when God's Word says something, then that must mean He means it. And when God means something, that means that it's a promise. And when God promises something, my faith begins to rise. And when I begin to pray that very thing, it's like I'm praying what I know to be the will of God. Now, you might be saying, well, Pastor, why do we have to pray 
for that which God has already declared is His will. Anybody ever ask that? I got the answer. I don't know. I have no idea. I really don't. I, I've asked the same question. Wait a minute, God, you said you wanted to do that. Why do I have to pray for it? I, I don't know why, but I do know Scripture teaches me over and over again, you have not because you ask not. And God has invited us, I don't understand it, God, the God of the universe, has placed Himself under the law of prayer, and He has said that there are some things that I simply will not do. He doesn't say He can't do them. He says, I will not do them unless my people pray. So now, all of a sudden, when I begin to pray for people, for example, for their salvation, and I know that 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2-5 through 5 says that God's will is that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth because there's only one uh, God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, that when I begin to pray for somebody's salvation, while they and their will may resist that, God in His Spirit is... I, I'm, I'm praying God's will. When I pray for my marriage to be healthy, I don't have to pray to ask whether or not God wants to make my marriage healthy because God's Word says He wants healthy marriages. In fact, God always seeks. Now, I realize it doesn't always happen. Why? This thing called the will, right? The human, human will. But the fact is, is that God loves marriage and God wants marriages to be healed. In fact, God always wants a marriage to be healed. He wants it to be healthy, but He wants it to be healed. I know that. Why? Because Matthew chapter 18 and Malachi chapter 2. Why? God's Word says it. I believe it. I'm going to pray it. And there's something that happens in that. I had a guy come into my office a number of weeks ago, maybe even months ago, and he was talking about his, 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 his marriage. And he said, you know, I don't know if God really wants to heal my marriage. I said, oh, hey, let's stop and pray about it. Yes, he does. <laughs> I know it. Why? Because I know that's what God wants to do. God always desires to heal and restore in relationships. Should I pray about forgiving someone? Absolutely. Because God wants us to forgive. Does this start to make sense? See, when I begin, and here's, here's interesting. So some of us are brand new in this whole journey of faith. First John is a book that was written so that people could know that they're really saved. But secondly, it was written so we could know how to pray. So in 1 John, the disciple John wrote these words, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So you can know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of Him. Why? Because it's in His will. There's this incredible partnership. Man, we could, I, I'd love to just pick the brain of some of those people out there that are prayer warriors. They get this stuff. They understand this stuff. How God invites us on the journey to partner in the divine. It's incredible to me. But the third aspect of Daniel's prayer to me is the most powerful. He's desperate. He doesn't have any other answers. And I know he's desperate. I know he's desperate because he's so hungry. Notice what he says in verse 19. He says, Oh God, do not delay. 
Pastor Phil paraphrased, God, you've got to show up and you've got to show up quick because I'm holding on by a thread. I'm not going to make it if you don't show up. And he humbles himself. You notice how he doesn't blame his nation. Daniel was just a teenager when he came into the captivity of the Babylonians. And yet you notice what he doesn't do. He says, hey, you know, everybody else in my nation has blown it. He owns the sin of his nation. I don't know about you. i got to be honest. It's kind of hard for me to own the sins of our nation. I tend to to kind of puff up a little bit and say, hey, wait a minute, I didn't do that. I shouldn't have to, I shouldn't have to ask the Lord for forgiveness on that. I didn't do it. But Daniel understood that his people, even though Daniel hadn't done it, he was part of it. He needed to own it. He was broken. Do you notice how broken he is? Look what it says in verse 19. We do not ask because we are righteous, but because of your mercy. Lord, I don't have any answers for this situation. And there is something powerful about desperation because desperation admits the fact that you can't do this in your own strength. You're just relying on God's mercy. And I was reflecting on this this week. In fact, I, I, I was always going this direction, but I kind of changed the direction of the message this week when I was working on it. And I realized something about mercy. Mercy is usually a request of last resort. Nobody asks for mercy unless they're desperate. Steve, you remember when we were kids playing Little League and and softball, and you played football. They had this thing called uh, the mercy rule. Any of you familiar with the mercy rule? The only people that showed mercy to were the parents sitting up in the stands. I hated that. If you're not familiar with the mercy rule, the mercy rule is that if you're playing, let's just say baseball because that's what I would play, your team gets so many runs behind that by a certain point in the game, if you're too many runs behind, they're just basically acknowledging you ain't never catching up. So to show you mercy, we're going to call the game. You're in the fourth inning, you're 15 runs behind, you're not catching up. We'll call the game show you mercy hated getting mercyed I like mercy in others but I hated mercy because it was basically saying you're so far behind there's no hope for you nobody likes to ask for mercy do we I shared before that I'm the youngest of seven children. I have six older sisters. Mercy. My youngest sister is five years older than I am. My oldest sister is 14 years older than I am. At one time in my life, I had six pre-adolescent, adolescent women controlling my life 
And they picked on me all the time. And I don't know why. I was a great kid. Although, I sent them a text this week because we, we text every day. And I sent them this text. I wish my siblings would stop calling me spoiled just because I'm the baby of the family. The fact is, my parents just kept having children until they found one they liked. <laughs> I might have deserved it a little. And they were bigger than I was. I mean, you know, my, sis, my, my first sister, my oldest sister, got married when I was five. So, I mean, they were all bigger than me. And they knew I was ticklish. I hated being tickled. And so if they really wanted to get at me, maybe I was being irritating, whatever it was, they would get me down. They would tickle me. They'd get me on the ground. I hate it. I still hate it. Can't stand it. And then they would do this once in a while. And, and maybe it wasn't all of them, but I got the faces in my name. It burned in there. And I, they'd get me down on the ground and they would pin me. And I'd fight them. And then they'd take the one knee and they'd put it up on my arm and pin it to the ground. And then they'd take the other arm and they'd pin it behind my head. And they'd take the other knee and they'd pin it and they would straddle me and they'd have my arms like this. And then they'd just start doing stuff like this. And they'd start tickling me. And I would fight them and I would scream and I would kick and I would, I would do everything I could to get them off of me by the way, this is, this is torture. This is bad. I texted them this week, tell them I was telling them this story. Let me just tell you, they were all horrified that I remembered this stuff, you know, and they started creeping. One of them, one of them, I'm not going to say their name, but she knows who she is. She used to put a little bit of spittle right here, and she would just kind of come up. They tortured me as a kid. And I would start to scream, and I would buck and I would push and I would fight and then I'd start to laugh right and then my laugh would turn kind of anxious and then I'd have a cry mixed in with my laugh you know what that sounds like and then I'd just start to cry and then all of a sudden I'd go limp and I would cry and I would just say mercy because that's all they wanted to hear and they'd let me up And there is something about spiritually being desperate enough to just cry out for mercy. Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. It means they're destitute. For the kingdom of heaven shall be theirs. Blessed are those who mourn and weep. It means they're, they're at the end of their strength and mourning, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. That word for hunger is the word for starvation to the point of death. Blessed are those who are so hungry for me, for righteousness, he says, for they shall be filled. And there is something spiritually about being so broken and desperate before God that we quit fighting Him, we just simply surrender to Him, and we just simply ask Him to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. That is the beginning 
It's the first dynamic of spiritual victory. And maybe mercy shouldn't be the prayer of last resort, but the place of beginning. And I will tell you, I can go back through my life. In fact, I will tell you, I came to the Lord on a night that I basically became broken and desperate. And I said, Lord, have mercy, because I don't know what to do for myself. And I've had periodic times in my life where I have been so desperate before God, I just simply said, oh Lord, do not delay. Because I, I have no answers for this situation. And it is amazing when I have been desperate, God has begun to work in some powerful ways. And so if you're here this morning, you're desperate, you're broken, have mercy. I believe that is the perfect environment for God to begin to work in your life. Three little take-homes because we've got to close it up that I'd like for you just to grab. First one is don't underestimate the power of the one prayer. You'll notice that while Daniel talked about his sins and the sins of all the people, when it came down to prayer, verse 17, he said, hear the prayer of your servant. Not your servants. He didn't know if anybody else was praying. He said, Lord, hear my prayer for my people. That's a pretty powerful, bold prayer. You may feel like you're the only one praying for your home. You may feel like you're the only one praying for your marriage. You may feel like you're the only one who's praying and believing for your parents or your siblings. You may believe you're the only one praying for your kids. You may believe you're the only one praying for your company or our country or this church. You may feel like you're the only one praying, but if you're the only one praying, that's a powerful prayer. Because there's power in the one. So don't give up. Number two... Don't give up because you're suddenly, your answer might just be right around the corner. Now this is a 70-year prayer, but in this moment, the prayer, the answer came in verse 23. That's why I read it to you. He says, while I was praying and seeking the Lord, and I was confessing my sin and the sins of my people, God had an answer. He said, as soon as you began praying, an answer was coming. And so you may feel like, and I don't, again, I don't get God's timing. I just know this, don't give up because you're suddenly, because that's how God works, right? He always works in the suddenly moment. God suddenly might be just right around the corner. But let me give you one last word, and it really is to be an encouragement. Some of you won't see it this way, but it really is an encouragement. God's answer may come in a moment, but it may take some time for restoration and healing to happen. God gave him an answer in verse 23. It took 70 years for restoration and healing to come full circle for the people of Israel. It had taken them 490 years to get in this spot. It took a few years to get them back to where they needed to be. You're 50, 55, 60 years old and you have a lifetime behind you and you're crying out for God to do a work and it took you 55 years to get to where you're at. Give God a little time. He deserves at least a couple months, doesn't he? 
to bring you to where He wants you to be. And you might be in a marriage right now that's 10, 15, 20 years old, and you're saying, God, I need you to heal my marriage. Well, if it took you 20 years to get to where you're at, give God more than just a week to work on it. Because God's healing and timing tends to be done in conjunction with the readiness and the willingness of those that He's healing. Does that make sense? But don't give up. come confidently before the throne of grace where we find mercy in our time of need. Father, I thank you for this series. It's been so good for me. It's been rich. Father, we've been praying. We've been praying for kids and we've been praying for families and we've been praying for marriages and we've been praying for healing and we've been praying for breakthroughs emotionally we've been praying for past we've been praying for a church and renewal and revival and lord i i just i'm just claiming your word today that says he who began a good work is going to continue father keep continuing and lord i i'm i've got some right now i prayed with a man this morning he's in the hospital today lord i want to pray for him he's desperate Come and meet Him. Come and heal Him. But come, come and be with Him. There's some right now that are just saying, God, I'm desperate for You just to be present in my life. Father, would Your presence just permeate and just encourage and the one who feels like they're ready to give up, I pray You just give them Daniel's stubbornness. Give them strength beyond any strength they have. Miraculously show up. Miraculously answer. And then, Lord, as you work in restoration and healing and bring about that answer, Lord, let's relish and be, let's be ready for the work you want to do in an ongoing fashion. Thanks, Lord. We love you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.